0: What we're doing today is we're beginning our six-week series on the church. Uh, This is incredibly uh, important for us. It's something that I'm excited to walk through together. We love the opportunity to open up scriptures and see what they have to say about how we live this life in unity and on mission together. A little bit about this series before we dig into the message itself is that as a people who are following Jesus together uh, we have established ourselves on the foundation of God's word. So this series is not—it's not like we're opening up to Exodus 17, and we're in Exodus 17 for the entire time. Uh, we are going to be kind of navigating our way through the scriptures together, uh, and looking at what God has to say about His church, how it's called to operate. Uh, and with that, I think it's just incredibly important for us to highlight: we believe that this is authoritative, that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we are doing our best to humbly obey as much as we can. Uh, And so, uh, as we are kind of getting in the starting period of this series, I also want to just make sure uh, that you guys understand that as we talk about the church, my goal is not to try and prove to you guys or tell you that we're doing everything right. Um, uh, I think sometimes, even we as a church... I have been guilty in the years past of highlighting how other people are doing it wrong and maybe how I feel like we're doing it right. That's not the goal in this series by any means. Our goal in this series is to look at Scripture, see what it has to say about the church, and then do our best to Lord willing, humbly, and obediently respond accordingly. Um, You guys, probably as we talk about the church, there's a number of mixed feelings that go on. For as many people in this room that there are like wonderful feelings when you talk about the church, there's probably as many people in this room that when you talk about the church, there's a number of negative feelings and emotions that come about to you. The church is kind of a mixed bag of emotions, and that's because it's populated by us. We are a broken, sinful people.
1: And there's been some real
0: pains that you've experienced, I'm sure, and hopefully some real pleasures and joys that you've experienced as you've been part of the church. And my hope as we engage in this series together is that you wouldn't allow your heart to be callous one way or another as we engage in this series together. But some of you guys have been a part of church splits. You guys have experienced real dysfunction. You guys have experienced perhaps leadership in the churches that you've been maybe maybe leaders of the hearts churches whatever there's there's all types of experiences that you may have had many of you guys most likely if you've been a part of a church for a period of time you've been disappointed if you've been here for a while I am sure I have disappointed you in some way shape or form Uh, and if I haven't there's still time in this sermon for me to do so Um, but These, this is, I just, and let me, there's this lengthy and worthwhile quote from Charles Spurgeon, who pastored a 10,000-member church in London before there was any form of uh, amplification. Can you guys imagine that? Pastoring a 10,000-person church, no amplification. I mean, or George Goodfield, like the open-air preaching guy, like, gosh, amazing, thousands of people. That's what he's going but I want you to hear what Charles Spurgeon has to say about the church. He says, "Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined, uh, if I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect." I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had not one, I should have spoiled it. For it would no longer have been a perfect church after I became a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony of God would be lost to the world. Charles Spurgeon. I really like this quote. He uses this phrase, the dearest place on earth. And he, this phrase is being pulled from a realization and confession that we are imperfect people. What I love about him saying is, is he's not pretending like everything is like, like super nice and tidy and clean and proper. He's saying it's the dearest place on earth, knowing and experiencing and having tasted its faults. It shouldn't surprise us that many of us may have been disappointed. By the church or people in the church at certain points in our life because the church is filled with broken people who need a savior. What I don't want to do this morning is by any means paint a picture that Anthem is somehow exempt from this. Like I said before, we haven't disappointed you yet. We probably will. Not on purpose. But it's going to happen. This is why all challenged believers in the church, like we read about in Colossians, to bear with one another. You don't have to bear with one another; everybody's just patting you on the backside all the time and saying "good job." You bear with one another because sometimes you got heads, sometimes you got each other, sometimes you might have different thoughts or opinions about certain things, and yet in the midst of all this, thing, you know, Spurgeon still calls. It And Jesus shed his blood for the church. Paul says, we are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, members of one another. And John says, we are God's holy. So, the dearest place on earth is early, right, in the middle of these intentions? tensions. But the church is an imperfect community, and yet it is still dear to the Christian and most importantly, it's dear to Jesus. We're in there's a couple hurdles that I, I, I want to engage with, and that was the first one. The first hurdle is that many of us have hurts, frustrations, or pains that are legitimate as we've spent time in the church. Or, um, and then there's another hurdle that maybe going through a series like this might draw about, is that it's not, you might think like, oh great, a, church, a series on the church. just a bunch of information that isn't going to affect the way I way, shape, or form in our hope of prayer, that it would be the opposite, that we would find our biblical view of the church rooted in Jesus so compelling that our lives would be shaped. This is not a, this is hopefully is the opposite of a non-practical sermon series. This has got to touch on not just the inward parts of our lives, but the outward parts, the rhythms of our lives, how we've shaped our schedules and our and the things that we have placed priority and value in, all of those things, Lord willing, will be addressed in our series together. Another challenge of doing something on the church is that some of you have been in church your whole life. I personally have been in church for over 35 years now. And uh, so that's a while. Some people would say that's uh, a while. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, you've had quite a bit of experience, 35 years of doing something, and you generally retire. Like, that's what most people do after 35 years. And, and, but when we've been in the church our whole life, and some of you guys, we've got people all over the spectrum. So if you're here and you're like, I'm brand new to church, perfect. If you're here and you've been in church for like 50 years, 60 years, man, God bless you. And I'm so thankful that you're here. But each of us, we've got stuff to learn. We have not arrived. Even though I've been doing this for a long time, I do not have it all down. I mean, I'm not 100% right. I guarantee you. But my hope and prayer is that together we can humbly approach Scripture. And that we can be challenged, potentially even confronted. Maybe not with a new, brand new revelation. Hopefully there shouldn't be anything brand new like that. But hopefully we can be confronted as to whether or not my my theology and my conviction about the church line up well. My hope and prayers that the Lord is going to draw those things more to tension for us. Another hurdle that we have when we're talking about the church is just kind of this idea of um, expectations. And many of us, not just with the church, but in relationships in general, struggle with mixed, mixed expectations. Keely and I, we, just, we had a miss last night It was like, I was expecting one thing, she was expecting another, and then it just was like, all of a sudden we were frustrated, and it was over something totally dumb, and yet because there were a lack of clarity of expectation, we kind of were like, like, tippy about things. (laughs) And I bring that up because in the church, oftentimes, people make a lot of decisions because of missed expectations or unclear expectations. Most of the times, as I've been doing this for a decent amount of time, now when I've seen people leave churches, most of the time, it's not genuinely over theological indifferences, it's genuinely over missed expectations. Somebody got their feelings hurt, and they said, peace to you later. And hopefully, we can move past ambiguity and vagueness and into clarity when it comes to expectations, as we study scripture together and see what is expectation. What is expected of people of God? Because I don't know about you guys, but, but uh, frustration, bitterness, selfishness, man, it loves ambiguity and vagueness. Clarity is one of the worst things to come to actually destroy. It's the best thing. It's, i being mean, ironic. The best thing, one of the best solutions to bitterness, frustration, Clarified expectation. So we call the expectation. All right, understanding the church is a huge part of being the body of Christ. So we want to dig and understand the way that Jesus called us into life together. And with that, let's pray, and then we'll open up to Ephesians two together. Oh God, we come to you this morning. We ask you to teach us, Father. We want to actually bring our our backgrounds, our uh, experiences, our pains, our joys even of, of of our experience with the church and we just bring it before you. We say, Lord, here we are. We want to engage with you. We ask you to teach us. Continue to shape what you think and believe about the church. Would you continue to shape that in us and would we be humble enough to receive from you today? Holy Spirit, I just ask that you to teach through me just thrilled to to me, to so engage, and God I desire to continue to grow and learn about you and your church. pray all these things, in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so we got to start in Ephesians 2, and just so, in case you're wondering, this morning really serves as an intro to the series, and so... You might hear me talk about something. You might want me to talk way more about it. Just know that most likely we're going to engage in that uh, in the next five weeks. And so, but we have to, we have to, we have to start with Jesus, our foundation. We cannot get the church if we do not get Jesus. (coughs) Ephesians 2, starting in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus came to save us, those who are far off. And through Jesus we have access to one Spirit, to the Father. Where we are no longer strangers to God, we're no longer aliens, but saints, double members. built on the foundation of the apostles and Christ himself as the cornerstone on whom we in the church are being built into a dwelling place. Any message about the church has to start with Jesus. He is our foundation. This is what Paul talks in Colossians, right? Jesus is the center. It's through him and by him that, he, him that all things are held together. That he is the head of the church. can't get the church if we don't Jesus. His heart, his vision, his mission, his structure, and his way of operating. We start with Jesus when teaching through the church because there's critical components that we need to understand that affect our beliefs in the church. And we're going to be walking through five of those mm-hmm. things today. So if you're a note taker, you've got five points coming up. The first point that we start with is that the church belongs to In Matthew 16, Jesus is asking his disciples, if you guys were with us during our Matthew series, we we actually repeated this a lot. He wants to know what people are saying about him. Who do they say that he is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples start to answer. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some prophets. Then Jesus looks at Peter and says, but who do you say that? This is in Matthew 16, 15-19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be found in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. in heaven. From the start of our time in Anthem, we have sought to live out the reality that this is not our church. That it's Jesus' church, and we're spiritual. And I want to tell you that, I wish I wish I could tell you that that is the posture that I've had throughout all the man from throughout all of my time. As mm-hmm. a computer, but you guys need to know that in selfish or fleshly moments, it's hard for me to believe that this is Jesus' sometimes, not mine. Not something that Keely and I built. And it's Keeley's and I, me and Keely's responsibility to maintain. And that it, it, it all rests and falls on me and Keely. And there's times after a Sunday where I'm just Crashed on the couch and I'm crying to myself because I'm like, oh, I said three things that I didn't want to say today, or whatever. And it, there's times where it can be hard to lose. It can be hard to not jump into the flesh. And, this is and starting with this foundational point that the chief, that the church is Jesus, it belongs to Him is incredibly important, not only for the health of the church but for the health of somebody like me. But when we see this, Jesus tells Peter, he says, I will build my church. So wait, whose idea is the church? Whose? Jesus, great. Who does it belong to? Jesus. Jesus. So this church, it doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to our elders, it doesn't belong to the rest of our congregation, it belongs to who? Jesus. Jesus. It is Jesus' church. Good job. But one of the things that I realized as I was studying for this church series is that we take something like that and we get to Jesus. But do we know that this actually is a massive problem that runs throughout the churches, all throughout the world, is that we lose sight of the church. Some of the most simple and basic necessities for are growing a church are lost. Because sometimes simple leaders or simple people, or sometimes we just get distracted and we forget that the church actually, it belongs to Jesus. It's His. So not only does the church belong to Him, but who builds the church? Jesus. Also really, really important for somebody like me. I'm a people pleaser to the core. My temptation will be to measure success by how many people we have, to potentially measure success by the size of building that we own, or don't have at all. (laughs) Or to measure success by how much money is in our bank account or to measure success by even how many conversions we've seen in the last year. But it's so important for us to see that Jesus, I will. And a lot of those other things that I just mentioned, all those things are really important, but those things are not the metric for success. The metric for success is are we being Obedient to Jesus. And we're so Again, sometimes we can complicate things so stinking much. Sometimes we don't like things being simple. And we're such in this era of like needing to be like hyper-unique that I mean, everybody wants to put like their own spin on everything. And yet there's this there's this blaring simplicity. Church, of success is defined are we being obedient to Jesus in growing and trusting Him for the results. Now, don't get me wrong, all of those other things that we talked about, those secondary, they, those things are important, and it's not that we've never engaged in those conversations, but the problem is the priorities get out of lap. And then all of a sudden, the measurement of success for whether or not we're doing what we're supposed to be doing as a church is, do we have a building? Do we have X number of uh, bachelors? Do we have X number of congress? Do we have X number of community groups? Do we have X number of all of these things? And those things are all important, but when they take the place of the priority of, is Jesus the one who we're building on? Jesus' chief desire for us, mission for us, is to abide and Him, to be with Him, to commune in Him, and go and be. disciples. Point two. So that's point one. The church belongs to Jesus. It's His idea. It's founded upon Him. And He's the one that's going to grow it. Point two. Jesus founded the church via disciple making. So how, how does He grow His church? Mark 1, 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. If you're looking for a very short synopsis of what Jesus' goal is in discipleship, it's right there. Follow me. Come to Jesus. Follow me. Come to me, and I will make you. So we say be with Jesus, be changed like Jesus, be changed by him, become like him. There's this process of becoming like him internally. And then become fishers of men. This is what Jesus did. He went out to seek and save them. which was lost. it's anyway, a small aside. It's not just a section model. Verse 18, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he immediately called them and let, and they left their nets <coughs> excuse me, and they left their fathers at in the, the boat with the hired servants and calling him. Jesus began his journey of reconciling the world to the Father by rounding up twelve ordinary guys. And when I mean ordinary, I mean like really ordinary. Not like not like guys who like secretly had like an MDiv or like a like a doctorate, like genuinely ordinary who looked at rabbis and thought, like, God's going neat things with them, but what I'm just gonna finish. God took guys like this and he taught them. He spent time with them. He ate with them. He explained parables to them. He gave them power, released them to do ministry in the context where he was with them. And then eventually he releases them to do ministry without him it's still in See, the disciples weren't merely an entourage for Jesus. They were church Jesus had the church in mind from the beginning of his ministry. His intention was to make sure that the world was left with his presence through his church. So he poured into his disciples, knowing that he would not be on earth The church was started because it was the gathering of the disciples, excuse me, the church was started because it was the gathering of disciples who were moving together in unison toward bringing the good news of Jesus to the world. Jesus' church was always understood as the gathering of those disciples for the purpose of facilitating this mission. The big question is how will the world know? answer answers that question. If the they disciples the spirit to the world, we see this in the Great Commission. And it's not so much that God has a mission for his church, rather, God has a church or a mission or his mission. We'll read the Great Commission together, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the year. Jesus' great commission is critical to us understanding how the church is supposed to go, how the church is supposed to operate. We're given instructions to make disciples of Jesus, to teach them to obey. All that he had commanded, and to baptize them in his name. Jesus himself made disciples, and he commissioned them to continue to do what he did. Making disciples was not only how Jesus started the church, but it's how he wants us to continue his church. This is helpful for those of you who are like me, who need things to be rather simple. I think I, I love that there is a simple complexity, if you will, to the story of God, to so the gospel. And in many regards, it is so simple. And things like the Great Commission help us understand and boil things down to a simple place for us to really be able to grab hold of them and repeat them. So this is what we can glean from the, the Great Commission. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple of And your responsibility is to grow in in being obedient to Jesus in all of his teaching. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus, and your responsibility is to grow in being obedient to all of Jesus' teaching. Second piece to that, and as a result, to share Jesus' teaching with those who don't know him yet. And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, some of this is overly simple, right guys? But how often do we get confused? Or how often do things get convoluted? Or how quickly do we get engulfed in the chaos of this world? Like, what the heck am I supposed to do today? Who am I? What's my purpose? How am I to engage? This? Sometimes we just need these. We need to have these memorized so that they can just go be running on repeat in our brain. So, we can, oh, I, I, my goal today is to grow, become, and grow more obedient and help keep somebody else. cool goal is to grow as a of Jesus. Jeff Vanderstel says this, that just because you have a church doesn't mean you're making disciples. But if you're making disciples, you will always have the church. So, in that the point is, again, the church is not a building, it is a people. And so, the church has always existed through the disciples. its place has never been, since the church's inception, it has never been reserved to a certain locale. But it is carried through the people of God, and we're going to get really into this next week. But the way that Jesus, from the beginning, has designed his church to increase, to grow, to fill the earth, is through disciples, and disciples, and disciples. We are here today. Meeting in Camarillo at the Boys and Girls Club because over 2,000 years ago, there were faithful men and women who began to enter into this call to make disciples that would make disciples that would carry the church on for millennia. Because of their faithfulness, you and I are here today celebrating Jesus. But it's not just their faithfulness, it's their faithfulness empowered by Holy Son. Third point, Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. So I don't know about you guys. There's something almost ingrained in Americans that, like I almost like one of the things that were best. There's something about—I—I I I could be wrong. Maybe this isn't. Maybe this is just humankind. I—I live in America, so I don't know other cultures really, really why. Maybe we're all just a really cynical or critical people. But I feel like most of us feel like we could be professional critics in some way, shape, or form. Ben does it for a living as a movie critic, and that's great. That's wonderful. I think that would be really hard. Um, but then again, maybe it'd be real easy. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Uh, there's something in us that, like the the inner critic in us, it cannot help but like spill over into other areas of life, right? And if you guys are anything like me, I hate how critical. And I think some of us really, honestly. Need to be reminded that being critical is not a gift, of it or it's not through the spirit. <laughs> and, and honestly, it's really hard because so many of us, many of our jobs require us to be critical in lots of ways. And we're not talking about constructive criticism. I, I mean, we're not talking about, like, blindly looking at anything. We we need to look at things clearly, 100%. But as sinful, broken people, our tendency, when we are critical, isn't to be constructively critical. It's to become a cynic. And it's actually to tear down, to rip away, and to lob bombs over there while I do whatever I want to do. And as I was preparing this message, this area of Jesus purchasing the church with his own blood, I felt like it was so so needed for me and it's needed for us. To be careful how we talk about the bride of Christ. To be careful how we engage with other churches about other churches, even when Anthem was young, I think there were a lot of times by accident, like we kind of like, exemplified maybe how we were different from other churches and how, again, the, the, the point wasn't like this is why we're better than them, but I think unfortunately, oftentimes, that's the way it came across. This almost like they're missing it here, but we're doing it like this, so you should come be a part of what we're doing. Like, I just want you to, guys, I don't think that's okay. Goal is not to differentiate ourselves between how and why we're better than any other church in Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to what? Be to Jesus. And when we become critical nitpickers of the church, whether it's ours or somebody, it's another one somebody's a part of, I think we slowly but surely take spikes at yeah. Jesus for In Acts 20.28 20, it says this. Pay careful attention. This is speaking to how leaders are called to oversee the flock. And we'll talk about that in great detail later. But that's not what we're looking at this morning. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the flock, all this love language, which he obtained with Church is God's treasure and possession. word And I want to be really, really clear. I think it's super important that we look in the mirror well. The church has made mistakes throughout the years. People in the church have made mistakes throughout the years. And we need to recognize them. We need to highlight them. We need to not be afraid to say that was a mistake. periods of- move over the last 15 years or so to, to say like, hey, yeah, I love, I'm all for Jesus, but that church thing, man, that is whack. I'm out. <laughs> They've got the church, I love the, I, 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 the shirts. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Just so you know, there is not a biblical position that you can find, and it, you cannot find that supportive here. I love it in 1 John 1 John is super excited to be able to share the mystery and the glory and the beauty of the gospel with this community. He talks, to him, he talks to him about their beloved children. And he says, we're writing these things to make our joy complete. That now you have fellowship with the Father and also simultaneously fellowship with us. There is not a difference. You do not get Jesus and not his people. It's like somebody coming to me and saying, hey, Kevin, I think you are the best in the world. I love you so much. But Healy.'" Sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to walk. like That's kind of the end of the friendship. It doesn't work like that. It's a package deal. And scripture makes that clear. And there's just this, in, I know, for us as a church family, for me, there's an invitation. It's like, man, it doesn't matter how good of a sermon you preach. If you don't love the church, we're going to look at this later, but it's a smack dab in between the two spiritual gift passages. Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 is your famous love passage that's wrongly quoted and recited at marriage Uh, thingies, what do they call Ceremonies. Thank you. Uh, But it talks about what's the key for all spiritual gifts? The key is love. That you love the people, that you love the church. What's the key success for us to move forward as a church together? It's love. What good is it if you have all the right information that you have not loved? You're like a clanging dog. So my hope for us is not, I'm not trying to guard us from being instructively critical. What I want to guard us from is from lobbing critical bombs and standing on the sidewalk and saying, you fix it, it's your problem. Because that's not true. It's not my church, it's our church, which is led by Jesus himself. Pay careful attention to Make sure that we remember that the church is so precious to Jesus that he purchased it with his own blood. For Jesus empowers the church via the Holy Spirit. This is crucial. After the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples to wait, right? So Jesus, he, uh, he spent time with the disciples, he's, he's eaten with them, he's slept with them, he's poured his life out for them. He has given them basically everything he can actually physically, tangibly give. He's given it all. Them. And he had already just given his life legitimately. So when he gives the Great Commission, he's it's after his ascent he's already rose from the grave. And so in that, in the Great Commission, after that, in Acts 1, you would think that right after the Great Commission it would be like, boom, I'm gone, I'm going. But Jesus knows that what he's called his disciples, the church, to do next, they cannot do on their own. They cannot do, even with all of the knowledge, even with all of the hands-on experience from Jesus, that's still not enough. So he tells them to wait in Acts 1. He tells them to wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1a, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then next, in Acts 2, in Pentecost, the Spirit comes. And notice the Spirit doesn't just come on these twelve. It comes on more than the twelve who are up in this room, the upper room, praying. And as the Spirit falls on them, and His disciples, it takes them out into the streets and they begin to speak in tongues. None of which they actually knew, but those who were listening heard. They heard God being praised in their own native language. And the Holy Spirit came and it came in power and it empowered them to move and go forward and go out. And then at the end of Acts 2, we begin to see the first kind of picture of the church, and we're going to see this a lot more as we continue our series together. But we begin to see, what is the church do? They devote themselves to the prayers, the fellowships, the breaking of bread, and the apostles' teaching. They come together, and they share with one another as any had need. They met from house to house, and they even came on Saturdays, and they attended temple together, or Sundays. And the Lord added the number day by day. Jesus empowers the church through the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes that talks about unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build the thing. Because whose church is it? Who builds it? Jesus loves us so much that he gave himself. Uh, he gave us his life. He loves the church so much that he didn't leave us as orphans, but he gave us Holy Spirit who would empower us to where we could actually become the living temple of God. It, spend it with us we go. Fifth and final, Jesus is the purpose of the church. We must never move from this. We learned this in Colossians 1 16 through 18. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, including the church. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then in everything. is the head of the church he is the end goal of our life I love this quote from Michael Reed. it says the greatest benefit of union with Christ is Christ this marriage Jesus is the ultimate purpose and authority in the church. We're willing this kills self-importance, celebrityism, agenda defending, all those things. You guys need to know and you guys have full license. If you find that we stop seeking Jesus or we cease to trust and believe that he is the head of this church, if you guys feel like that's the direction where we're headed or we are not being faithful to that Man, one, come, call us on the carpet. We need to be accountable to that. If we don't stay accountable to that, then leave. Honestly, if we're not going to lead you towards pursuing Jesus, please leave. Five foundational pieces that are important for us as we move forward to continue to understand the church. And the first one is that the church belongs to Jesus. It's His idea. The second is that Jesus founded the church through disciple making. The third point is Jesus purchased the church with His own love. When it comes to an application for us this morning, this point alone, I believe is one that the Lord has is- There's a deep invitation. Re fall in love with my bridegroom. Fall in love with the church. Fall in love with her. She might be messy. She might be filled with some messed up people, but guess what? I died for her. I died to redeem her. We make sure that we are growing independence. That's why we're doing things like third Thursday. We need Holy Spirit. We need to engage in the heavenly to carry on the mission that he's called us to here. And fourthly, that Jesus is in the beginning of the middle. Or the the So as we engage in this series, this you're just checking us out for the first time, great time to check us out. If you've been around for the last six months to a year, this is a great time to really press in to see what we collectively believe together God has called the church to be because it has great impact. On why we do what we do and why we're headed where we're headed. So we invite you. Commit to this. Be a part of this. Go grab lunch with people after. Dialogue about this. Great. chew on things. And the last piece is that as Charles Spurgeon saw Would you give yourself to Jesus and to his church? Because it truly is in your place. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, we ask now that as we respond, Lord, that we would respond in a posture of gratefulness. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you are the leader of the church because you are a way better leader than I am. Just we thank you that you are a better husband than I am. You are the perfect husband. That's what you call the church, the bride. So God, I ask that even now as we begin to respond, God, that you would be lifting up our hearts. That you would be growing our, our gratefulness to you and to your church. Give us for our points, just overcomplicating things. God, like we ask that maybe you draw us into a season where things become a little bit more simple, a little bit more clear cut. Whisper, we invite you to move as we respond now. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.